This podcast is brought to you through a partnership between the Tennessee Early Intervention System and the Treatment and Research Institute for Autism Spectrum Disorders. I'm Kathleen Simcoe. I'm the Early Intervention Coordinator for Middle Tennessee at Triad. I'm joined today by Chuck Carringer. He's an executive coach, trainer, and speaker, and an expert in leadership development. He's conducted trainings and professional developments for thousands of professionals. Chuck is here at the Building Best Practice Conference to deliver presentations on supervisor actions to increase employee engagement, leading a multi-generational workforce, and giving effective feedback. Could you start off, Chuck, by summarizing some of the key takeaways for supervisors on increasing employee engagement? Good morning, Kathleen. I'd be glad to. Uh, First, I think, is um, coming to an understanding that as leaders, we have the capacity to impact employee engagement. the, the leader, supervisor, can't take full responsibility for it because at the end of the day, each of us um, has to ultimately own our own professional experiences. I do think it's important to note that uh, the leader does impact the experience at work of those they lead. It's easy for us to understand that. Let's all think of the best boss we've had. Now let's think of the least effective boss we've had. And my guess would be that universally work was better with the better boss, and it wasn't quite as good with the less effective boss. That being said, Gallup, um, the same organization that does the polling during elections, has come up with 12 actions through their work um, uh, using their instrument called the Q12, uh, which uh, they've given more than 25 million times. So this is research that's extremely rich and robust with regard to um, uh, proven practices that can increase employee engagement. And you know, Kathleen, the the thing about it is when I first heard uh, these 12 actions, I was anticipating something that would be difficult, something that would be a real stretch for any manager or leader. We're talking about employee engagement, and we all read the same research about uh, there's an overwhelming number of people that go to work every day, and they would fall into a category of people that would be either less engaged, not fully engaged, or even disengaged, or actively disengaged. And we hear those numbers and we think, oh, I bet it's so difficult to move the needle. And actually, it's not. Uh, The the actions are relatively simple. Things like um, there's clarity of expectations. And, you know, a best practice is that the most effective leaders are clear with regard to expectations. Uh, If I work for you, you are my supervisor, my boss, my leader, um, the likelihood that I will meet your expectations goes up dramatically when I have clarity with regard to your expectations. And so one of the actions that Gallup has discovered is employee engagement goes up when expectations are clear. And that seems fundamental to leadership. It's just like leadership 101, be clear in what you expect, but um, we miss that. Uh, quite often. Uh, We might say things like, um, I'd like for you to get that completed soon. What is soon? Is soon this morning, tomorrow, before the end of the week, this month? Soon means a lot of different things to different people, but what the employee walks away with is a lack of clarity with regard to exactly what do they want. And sometimes we set employees up for less success or even failure when uh, we're not explicit with regard to expectation. That's one example. Another is something as simple as um, employees have the equipment they need to do their best work. Simply, if I work on a computer each day, my computer works, 
I have the systems, the hardware, and the software to be successful. If I use other equipment, I have it. It's in good working order. I can do my job. Um, uh, another one of the, the 12 that comes to mind quickly is actually number four in our talk today uh, with the group, and that is uh, employees want to receive recognition or appreciation for a job well done. And um, this is the one I likely camp out on the most because as a whole, I would say as leaders, we can be a smidgen stingy with appreciation and affirmation and recognition. And there's reams of data that tell us that um, employees work better, are more engaged when we are the leaders, when we are appropriately uh, generous. Um, I'm not advocating any way that we tell someone they're doing well when they're not doing well. That would be uh, absolutely contrary to employee engagement but that we're generous, we recognize good effort and good performance. And the research is staggering on the number of people. In fact, over 60% of Americans in a recent survey went a year, now this is hard for me to wrap my head around, went a year at work without being told they were doing something well. I, don't even, I can't even get my head around that. How is that possible that someone could work every day, a regular work schedule, go an entire year, be doing Satisfactory performance and not being not be told, nice job, well done, uh, thanks for what you're doing. So, uh, number four on those strategies to increase employee engagement is a reminder that we have an opportunity as leaders to appropriately recognize and appreciate those we lead. And so often we feel as leaders, oh, we're hamstrung at times. We want to give bonuses or increase salaries. And those things aren't as easy to do in most cases, either because of a lack of resources or because of the system we're in. It, it's just, it doesn't happen that easy. But there is not a restraint on the amount of appreciation we can show. And Gallup correctly points out that so often uh, employees become disengaged over time because they don't feel valued. Uh, I have employees in my in my work as a co executive coach. I'll have employees regularly say, you know, Chuck, I feel like a pair of hands. You know, I, I don't feel personally valued for my efforts around here. And in other words, hey, it's another day. I do my job. I go home, and no one seems to care. And so, one of those strategies we'll be discussing today is that we have an opportunity as leaders to uh, appropriately recognize and appreciate. Uh, those who are doing good work. Thanks, Chuck. That's really interesting. Also, I think it's interesting for us as early interventionists because we know a lot about the importance of praising children for their attempts and their, their progress, um, but we probably fail to apply that sometimes to the adults around us that we work with and lead. Um, thinking about some of the other things you're going to share today, you're also going to be talking about um, leading multi-generational workforce, and, and we've all heard a lot over the past few years about those dang millennials and how hard they are to work with. Um, so what are you going to be sharing with conference attendees about how they can lead a multi-generational group effectively? Uh, great question. And yes, we've all heard a lot about uh, the millennial generation. Um, and I think for good reason. First of all, they're the largest demographic in today's workforce. Um, research tells us by, that by the year 2020, they will make up more than 50% of the U.S. workforce. And so I always offer a word of caution to leaders who might say to me, hey, I lead the way I lead, 
and uh, the people I lead can adjust to me. I'm the leader. And I just say, hey, just take a beat there a second. Hold up. Um, it might be a better strategy to think about how we can at times adjust, adapt, not be someone we're not, but be willing to flex our leadership style a bit to best connect with and bring out the best in those we lead. And the millennial generation is growing in the workforce and the baby boomer generation is shrinking in the workforce. That makes sense that baby boomers retire, millennials are coming in. And I think there uh, are a number of noted attributes of this millennial generation that are worth uh, our being cognizant of as leaders. And one of them that I think is the coolest, and it goes so well with, with uh, what we're talking about uh, at the Building Best Practices Conference, is that millennials crave feedback and coaching. So often uh, in the, the, the previous paradigm of feedback at work was that every year we have an annual performance review. We go over uh, how I did that year, how the employee did, it's typically formal in nature. There's paperwork, and usually there's a compensation element uh, tied to it. Hey, Chuck, here's your performance review, and you'll be receiving a X percent increase in your salary. Um, and while I still think that is a best practice, having a formal annual review, I think we've learned now that um, to complement that, let's have a semi-formal mid-year review but what the millennials uh, actually crave are those bite-sized ongoing pieces of feedback that say you're on the right track. Coaching, in other words, which is a highlighted topic here at the conference. Um, they want more coaching. They want more feedback. They want leaders who are willing to connect and not just direct. And there's a difference. There's a, a connecting type of leader, and then there's a directing type of leader, and both have their place. Um, the, the interesting aspect uh, of this entire conversation about multi-generations, and, and uh, you know, I always offer right off the bat when I provide this training uh, a, a quick disclaimer that, hey, we're going to look at generational research, and, and let's understand that, that this is... Uh, research that examines the macro, the large body of a generation and what are the attributes about it, but it would not effectively or correctly identify the individual traits of a particular leader. And so to say that, hey, every millennial is this, or every baby boomer is that, or every Gen X person has this characteristic, that'd be a mistake. I think it highlights the significance of every leader knowing the people on their team. That's why I do think it's important that there's, there's probably a sweet spot for all of us as leaders with the number of people we're leading. If I lead a team of 10, I likely can, can pretty quickly gain an understanding of how to bring out the best in each of those people I'm leading. If I'm leading a team of 60, I don't really know everyone on the team. I'm unlikely to connect as well and to individualize some of the leadership opportunities that I have. Um, so it's a, it's a fascinating topic uh, when we're looking at each of the generations. Each of the generations has noted strengths and noted areas where perhaps um, they're not as strong. The baby boomers are noted for being hard workers. They're also noted for inventing the 50 and 60 hour work week, which 
a number of people would say, hey, I don't know that that has really turned out that well um, because uh, of the loss of balance and, and uh, the negative impacts to health and, and the other parts of our lives. And so uh, we'll look in, in this talk at each of the different generations, the strengths they bring, the areas where we have to be aware of, and most importantly for our time today, what are the best ways to lead and manage uh, a particular generation. So it's fascinating, and I want to stick up for the millennials a minute. Uh, you know, I, I wish I could say I was a millennial, uh, but I'm, I'm actually uh, a baby boomer. Uh, but I think the millennials get a bad rap. Um, I think, um, you know, I have the privilege to coach uh, leaders in, in each of the generations, and I work with some phenomenal young leaders, uh, driven, uh, passionate um, high capacity. Um, yes, uh, at times they work differently. Uh, baby boomers put a real value on seat time. Uh, millennials and Gen X put a real value on getting the work done, but not necessarily having to be in a, the, the assigned seat. Uh, where's the flexibility? Can they work some uh, remotely or, or from other locations? Um, and all those things have to be examined. Hey, is it possible for us to offer that? And if it is, to what, to, to what extent? But it's a fascinating talk, and it's always a favorite uh, when you get a group of people because in the room we'll have at least three generations represented, and, and so it'll be a lot of fun. Thanks. That sounds like a, a great talk, and, and folks can expect to, to learn a lot there. Um, I, I think you're also talking today, because you're a busy man today, about um, how supervisors can be more effective in the feedback they're providing folks. Um, and it sounds like there's, there's lots of things to take away already about um, how people can, can build relationships, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about how they can provide some of that effective feedback. Well, feedback um, is an essential part of that coaching piece that we were just uh, chatting about as uh, a highlighted practice in the Building Best Practices Conference and what's going on in your organization, uh, but also certainly, uh, I believe, a growing aspect of best practices in leadership. And feedback's a critical piece of that, of coaching and of leading well. And when you examine feedback, the first thing is to realize a perception. Uh, today, I'll, I'll give this scenario. Hey, uh, I want everyone to imagine that uh, this afternoon you're at work instead of here at the conference and your boss, your supervisor, um, contacts you. And if they're at the same location, they come by your workstation and they say something like, hey, Chuck, do me a favor. Before you head home today, stop by my office. I want to give you some feedback. And then I'll ask, how many of you feel like that's good news? And no hands will go up because we have a perception that feedback equals a problem. Feedback equals bad. Feedback equals, oh no, what happened? And we need to understand there's a, that connotation with that word. And so we'll work, first of all, to, to understand, okay, how can we improve that? And one of the ways is going back to what we said about the research Gallup's done is our feedback can't be overwhelmingly negative. It can't be like, okay, I've been called to the principal's office. I'm in trouble. It has to be more balanced in nature. Um, so there's uh, three aspects to most effective feedback. One is that um, it's specific. In other words, instead of saying to someone, hey, Kathleen, good job. Okay, let's take that. Let's drill down into that. Exactly what did you do that was good? Hey, you did an excellent, you did excellent work on the report you just submitted. Uh, it really reflects uh, 
uh, a high level of effort and quality. Thank you for that. So I was specific in what you did well on rather than just saying, good job. Uh, so good feedback is specific. It's also timely. In other words, if you submitted that report yesterday or two days ago, and I've read it now, and I'm ready to give you some feedback on it, that's fantastic. That's within the window of what's acceptable. The closer to real time, the better. But if you submitted that report three weeks ago, and today I'm getting around to saying to you, hey, that report was excellent. I appreciate the attention to detail you had. Again, being very specific. But I missed the window on timely. Because unless that report were hundreds of pages, if it were just more of a standard report, you turned it in, there was a window where the feedback would have been most meaningful to you and when now it's less meaningful and I missed it. So timely, specific, and the third component of very effective feedback is it's genuine. And that one's a little bit tougher to put a fork in, but here's what that means. Likely all of us have experienced someone saying the right words to us, but we questioned if they actually meant what they said because it didn't sound or feel like this, the emotion that went with those words was connected. And we seem to, as human beings, have some capacity to discern or at least feel like we can discern when someone is being genuine in what they say. And good feedback is genuine. It's not flattery. It's not telling someone how well they did when they didn't. It's not telling someone who, who missed, misstepped a bit on a project that that was excellent because now they walk away feeling like, well, one of two things, either my boss doesn't know what good looks like because I didn't do well and I knew it and they told me I did well, or we've just confused them more and now they're not certain what good looks like. So it's genuine. Good feedback um, is ongoing, it's regular, it's in those bite-sized portions, it's more of an appetizer than a meal, um, specific, genuine, and timely. Great. Um, I, think, I think that's all the time we have for today, so I want to thank you for, for joining us and look forward to hearing more during the talks later today at the conference. My pleasure. Thank you.